Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participants, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Stomping Gin. Sawtooth Frank. Here we are again. Uh-huh. Podcasting. That's right. On the Soft Serve podcast. I'm really excited. We have a really interesting guest doing amazing things. I like guests who do amazing things. I don't like boring <laughs> like guests. Subpar. No, Sub- I hate boring guests. guests. This is not a boring guest. Uh-huh. We ha- we're going to be talking to Stephen Opalinik from the Promethean Project. That sounds exciting, right? It does. And we're going to find a- all about what that is. Yeah. Right after the um, the intro music. Okay. Which I'm just going to remind people once again that I wrote and produced. Okay. Okay? Yes. All right, here we Thank go. Thank you. <laughs> the Soft Serve Podcast. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Stomping Jen, we're oh, here again weird. to talk to our guest about the Promethean Project. Are you ready? I am. Well, let's say hi to Stephen Opalinik. Hello, Stephen. Hey, how are y'all? <laughs> Good. How are you doing? Good. I mean, that intro is a lot to live up to. I, I, I'm going to try to be entertaining and not boring. But, well, we we like know, to come. Some of my family members, they might disagree with if that's possible or not. Well, we like to come out of the gate strong. So, and we're going to keep it going. Um, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Just uh, enjoying the weekend. Um, this weekend, I got to read some monster manual of D&D with my daughter oh. on oh, Saturday. Nice. And then we watched a show on Netflix today called The Dragon Prince. So, yeah. you know, keeping it geeky all up in here. Sweet. Nice. Do you have, um, I'm not going to ask you how old you are. Do you have an original monster manual or do you did you get one recently at the store? I used to have yeah. an original monster manual. I'm 39. I'll be okay. 40 this year. Um but no, my daughter actually she's six and she actually just rented one from the library. So nice. we're we're going through it um because she got some dice and uh some younger uh D and D stuff. So we're huh, indoctrinating early on here. So that's nice. awesome. I'm forty seven and I have an older brother uh who's three, four years my senior, and he had the original monster mm-hmm. manual when it mm-hmm. first came out. I yeah. remember that thing. Yeah. It's probably still sitting in a box somewhere. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm not, I've never been one to play D&D. Oh, I played a lot of D&D as a so, kid. It's super fun. It. Yeah. It's uh, awesome. Yeah. It's awesome that you're getting your daughter into it. Yeah. Um, so, Stephen, I want to give you a chance just to tell us a little bit um, more about who you are and what the Promethean Project is. As I was saying to Stomping Jen, it sounds very exciting. It's an exciting name. So, tell <laughs> yeah. us. tell us why you're here to talk to us. <laughs> Well, so, you know, I, you can call me Steve, you can call me whatever you want to. Um, I, I, I don't really care. Um, I, I let go of that trapping a long time ago, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've, I've grown up, my, my parents and my whole family are from Belchtown, Mass. Um, mm. We grew up in the Air Force. My dad was in the Air Force, so we moved around a lot. And then when he retired, we came out here in eighth grade. Uh, well, I was in eighth grade and he was the rec a department manager for a number of years oh, fun. since then retired again. And, uh, you know, I am a mental health therapist and I like integrative, uh, modalities of just kind of dealing with mind body stuff. And so you know, through the course of 
I'll say growing up, but I can't fully confirm that that's actually happened to me. Um, just kind of played around with different ideas of looking at mind body connection. And, you know, I've gone through some of my own trauma, um, mental health issues with depression, uh, eating disorders and anxiety. And, uh, when I eventually graduated from UMass with a degree in psychology, I went to Springfield college after a couple of years off, um, to get a master's in mental health counseling and marriage and family therapy. Mm-hmm. Went through a bunch of different ways of counseling that that way. And then eventually, uh, most recently last year, opened my own private practice in in tandem with the Promethean Project, which is our family run nonprofit organization that we have going, which is basically just kind of came about about this idea of healthcare so segmented. Mm-hmm. So as I was counseling uh, in the mental health field, I felt like there was a lot of missing connection between physical health and wellness and nutrition and things of that nature. And so my brother teaches Tai Chi and Qigong and meditation. My sister teaches a form of yoga and nutrition. And so a long time ago, we had made the joke of one day we'll just have a building and I'll counsel on one floor and Marcus will teach martial arts and You'll make, my sister at the time was in a vet tech. And so she said, oh, you'll do therapeutic uh, dog work. And mm-hmm. well, I'll just have this one building. And then 2017, I approached them and said, why don't we actually do that? Mm-hmm. And so that's where the Promethean project started. And then it's just ebbed and flowed since there. And so right now we run programs that are integrative mind-body based programs. Uh, right now doing a lot of youth work. So we've done youth leadership work. Um, we're working with some teachers to do mental health curriculums and, um, you know, counseling for teachers, especially now in the pandemic and really helping out with burnout. Uh, we're doing a fantasy writing group with adolescents where they're creating their own world and magic system. And our next program we're trying to get launched is a publishing company that will, um, meet with people and start publishing some work and work towards like just getting different people's voices out there and read and, you know, creating that world of connection. Cool. So it's a small summation of what, what mm-hmm. we're doing. Yeah. And that's all, that's, that's a, a lot. ambitious, <laughs> ambitious um, list it's of very things. Ambitious. It's kind yeah. of slow going because we don't have a, a center yet. Cause mm-hmm. eventually we want to create a center where you could just come in and be a gym, but you can also do, counseling or you could do meditation or you could do yoga or acupuncture. So just kind of a place where mm-hmm. it's a community-based wellness is essentially what we're aiming to do. So, so you don't have a venue yet? Is that what I'm Yeah, doing? we don't have a, so right now, um, out of my own private practice, that's where we run some programs through telehealth mm-hmm. uh, and, and some small groups. And uh, our goal, it was actually right before you know, COVID kind of hit was to find a a physical location. And then that's just been put on hold for right now, but we found using zoom and different telehealth kind of things, we've still been able to reach out to adolescents and kind of provide some socialization and some, some group work in that venue. Nice. You've mentioned a couple of times this word integrative, and I know that is a big focus of what you want to do in the Promethean project. And what I'm hearing is yeah. in your own work too. Can you just talk a little bit more about this concept of integrative um, therapy or integrative medicine and what we mean yeah, by that? Yeah, I yeah. Love I'd love to. Um, integrative is a very like new age sounding word where, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you can lose some people on it, but basically what I mean by integrative is just that, you know, it's actually funny because I use mind body a lot because that's also this buzzword that that people talk about this connection. And our view is actually like they're not separate. Right. So I had mentioned before we had started talking like I'm going to be presenting at different places. And one of the things I've been pushing is this concept of uh, the six minds of mental health and really looking at how you. It's not just your brain that causes uh, these emotions. It's a whole body approach. And so the six minds that we kind of talk about, which we're talking about with integrative is like the cultural mind, right? Because the way 
your race or the culture you're in or the community you're in really flavors how you perceive things. And when you talk about, you know, mental health, it's really just the health of your mind and your mind is how you perceive things. And so you have the cultural mind, you have, you know, the cerebral mind, which is your actual brain and, you know, the neurotransmitters, things like that. You have the digestive mind, which is looking at your gut flora and, and your microbiome and how your gut health really affects emotions and how you perceive things. Um, I'm not counting. So if I miss one, <laughs> someone, someone yell at me. One, two, three. I'm, up to, um, I'm up to three. Okay. Uh, you have your heart mind, which is you actually have neurons in your heart that communicate with the rest of your body. And so like the way your heart functions and the way, um, you know, if you have an arrhythmia or if your nervous system spikes, your heart responds. So it's this integrative kind of connection between all these different minds. Uh, you have the fascia mind, which is just your muscles and connective tissues, right? Um, things that hold your muscle spindles together, things that encase your viscera, like your organs and hold them in place. And then the last one is your nervous system mind. And that's really just looking how your nervous system uh, reacts to stimuli, but also can be conditioned to cause different emotions. And so when we say integrative, it's all these comprehensive things, but it's really just looking at how you deal with uh, health in general through all these different avenues. I'm sure there's probably like 25 other <laughs> minds that you could kind of come up with, but you know, when you start getting up to like 99 minds, it's, it's too much to kind of explain in a five minute conversation. Yeah. I think cutting it off at six is probably, Probably good. And and it's funny to me, like when I think about these things, right? Um, it feels like at least um the way we like talk to each other, right? We've always acknowledged that these things exist or we had a feeling they exist, right? Like mm-hmm. I I feel that in my gut. Like you're you're hurting my heart. Um yeah. um you know, that kind of, you're frying my brain stomping, Jen, the way you're looking at me. Like, <laughs> okay. we, we, like, um, we somehow like know to reference these things as entities that impact our health, right? In some way. And, yeah. and it feels like it's kind of like relatively recently that, um, people like you, um, Steve, like, had begun thinking about, like, okay, how do we how do we address these things in in a um integrative way in an integrative like overt way like through a program or something i don't know mhm i feel like health um and well-being is just catching up like and I, you know maybe in the last 10 years is it, that feels recent to me well i think like you know like yeah. as steven mentioned like the approach has been sort of segmented yeah uh, and so using this more of a holistic approach is, right. is I think, what the focus is for the Promethean Project is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Least, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, like, that cultural mind, right? Like, in, in Western society, it is very segmented. So this is kind of newer. But if you look in uh, different different cultures or different countries, it's not, I mean, like, yoga, Chinese mm-hmm. medicine, uh, Tai Chi, all these martial arts stuff, it was all at in, let's use the buzzword integrative, right? In nature for thousands of years, it's just that, you know, that was kind of written off because it, there wasn't data on it. It was just kind of passed down through lineages and it works, uh, different aspects of it work. Obviously, you know, there's snake oil in every kind of society you live in and, oh, this works and it's really just making money. But for the most part, a lot of the the newer ideas of integrative approaches have roots in deep systemic uh, societies just in different countries and cultures and not really talked about as much over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel I need this, this integrative <laughs> approach. Probably. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I always just focus on one thing at a time. Yeah, you and do. That's, that's not right. You should focus on all the things. Yeah. So we need this. We need this um, Promethean project. Where did the name come from? Uh, I'm a huge geek. So uh, <laughs> I remember, so I went to Belchertown High School and I had a teacher who I think is still teaching, Miss Boz uh, was teaching. And she really encouraged me to just be super creative in how we, we did things. And so in class, we had to do something about um, 
I think it was her class on creation myths. Mm -hmm. And so I remember a buddy of mine, Dan Phoenix, and I uh, made an action figure movie about, you know, the Titans and Zeus and the gods of Greek gods. And one name kind of stood out for me in in studying the myths, which is Prometheus, which uh, he was a Titan. If if I remember correctly, he was a Titan who uh, helped men. Um, and women, let's say just people in general, because, you know, um, that's what he did. Yeah. Peoples, he helped the people to uh, discover fire Mm -hmm. and he got punished for it. And we kind of don't talk about that part (laughs) for me, but um, so the idea really came from, uh, we really want to work on this integrative uh, approach to things with health and really help people find their own passions, find their own flame. And so it connected to this myth of Prometheus. And then, um, you know, and, and this leads into the podcast that we have break the chains, find your flame is kind of the tagline to that. And that's because when Prometheus was punished, he was chained to a rock. And so like really connecting to that, there's more gruesome stuff that goes into yeah. it as well, but you know, <laughs> We don't have to dive too, too deep into that part of it. So that's a that's a that's a myth that really resonated with you, and yeah, you wanted to this use concept it. of finding yeah. your own flame, and not you know when I talk to people about it, it's not like we're Prometheus giving you the flame; you're your own Prometheus, and that's why it's a project to kind of cultivate that concept. Yeah, um, Stephen, on on your website uh, for the Promethean project, and I want to make sure I tell people we're going to be linking um, to all of this stuff in our show notes, so you can go find any any of the stuff we're referencing there. Um, you talk about how the healthcare industry, right? So big big healthcare industry um, mm-hmm. does a really terrible job um, with communicating, planning and education, um, between all of the different health resources, providers, and, um, and people's communities. And this has a terrible effect on people. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit about that for us? Yeah. Um, so what I found in in just specifically working in mental health, I can't really speak for primary care or anyone beyond the scope of what I do, um, is that you know, the communication between providers, although is everyone acknowledges it's essential, it's really hard to get moving, right? Um, there have been plenty of people I've worked with who are getting one piece of the pie, so to speak, of information from a provider, and then that's, they're getting another piece, but when they put them together, it's like, oh, this is an apple pie and this is a cheesecake. Like, they don't work together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Recently, I was talking to someone who was really working on a nutrition plan. And, you know, I have I have a a background in nutritional counseling, but not necessarily am I a nutritionist by any means. Um, And so we were just talking about how to use nutrition to help with mental health and different things you can look into. And it was kind of like a, a roadblock because the plan she was on with her nutritionist was telling her the complete opposite. And, you know, going into that, I'm really self-aware and kind of say like, look, you really should talk to your nutritionist about this, but this is what I find has been really helpful. And, um, you know, that's when I asked for the invitation to talk to the nutritionist myself so that we can communicate and really make a, a plan for this individual that she doesn't have to second guess or she doesn't have to, you know, feel guilty about, not following one plan and letting a provider down, right? Mm. Um, perceived letting a provider down because I don't think that <laughs> should really be a worry, but it's, it's definitely something that people think about, right? Like, oh, I, I'm supposed to be doing this. I don't, I don't want to let this person down. Oh, I and think so, about that all the time. Like my doctor's going to be mad at me because I gained weight and I don't want to go see my doctor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's part of the stigma that kind of comes, comes with that too. Yeah. yeah. And the idea with the Promethean project, and if you you know if you're um, when you're able to get this brick and mortar um, um, uh, office together or whatever you want to call it center, I mean you'll mm. be right down the hall from the nutritionist, right? 
and, yeah. and you, you know, you, you see a patient and you can walk down the hall and be like, Hey, let's come up with a, a nutrition plan for this person. And then, you know, there's a, um, a personal trainer too in the building. Like the, you have right. a, yeah. you have like this health based approach. Yeah. You have this healthcare, um, you have this healthcare team that's working together, uh, rather than, um, maybe across purposes in some cases. Yeah. It's, it's essentially taking like a case management model and, and really applying it to a community-based approach. And, you know, there are things out there, some, uh, you know, mass health did this thing about 10, 10 or 11 years ago called uh, child behavioral health initiative, where they started creating these uh, programs for community uh, to keep adolescents in the community who were really struggling with mental health and suicidal ideations or homicidal ideations. And they essentially made a team-based approach and had care plan meetings and, you know, had things for each provider involved and they'd meet monthly. And, you know, we really want, once we're up and running to borrow from that a little bit more, but just diversify like who's involved in that in terms of health and whether it's someone that's in our building or if someone a town over really just streamlining that communication and, and uh, working through that so that we have here's, here's what everyone's recommending. Here's what everyone's doing. You just got to work with this plan instead of trying to figure out which way you're going to go. Yeah. And the idea, the idea of a health center like that and, um, would be, it's, is it accessible to the community it's located in? Can yeah. people just kind of walk in and. Yeah. And, so yeah. The, the, the business model that we're playing around with is, because it's a nonprofit that would allow us to have community involvement in how things were run. And we could have community members on the board um, as long with other people uh, who are um, providers on the board. So there can be a, a real conversation. So it's not just providers like this is what we think will work and this is how it's going to work. Um, and then the idea would be there's multiple models to it. So through uh, grants and funding, we'd be allowing, um, you know, certain providers to work with a community who might not be able to access that level by having grants kind of pay for those services. And then also because it would be a functioning gym, eventually that's the hope uh, we'd have member dues and that would help fund some of these programs and some of these uh, providers as well to have, you know, this block of time that would allow people to do drop-ins or would allow people to access not quite pro bono things, but like discounted rates or sometimes pro bono services. Where are you, um, where are you targeting to, to open the center? Like, what is the community you'd like to be in? <laughs> uh, well, right now I'll take any, <laughs> anything around here that, that would make it work. But, um, we have talked to a couple people in Amherst and actually Belchertown about, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with state school stuff that we've been talking to people about, but the, the bigger concern for me would be have it like we've talked about Holyoke or in Springfield as well, because I really want it to be accessible. So like bus routes or access to, um, you know, different travel support so that people wouldn't have to drive like an hour to come and figure out how to get there. We want to be accessible by train or by bus. And so we have looked, we were actually looking in Holyoke specifically before the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And then through the pandemic, we've just been trying to network and reach out to people just to have a base of operations and start small and then build on that through time. Yeah. When I was doing some um, leadership work, like in the Springfield area, like one of the things I learned about was this idea of a food desert right like there are communities right. um that um you know due to don't have access to food due to economic drivers don't have access to um fresh healthy food and i was and i was thinking to myself it's probably the same when it comes to healthcare there are probably yeah. healthcare deserts where people don't have access and i think a, a center like yours would be a, a great thing uh, to help, to help with that, have a, you know, um, a resource for people. I think that would be great. 
How do we yeah, get I there? Mean, yeah. <laughs> How do we get there? How do we get there? You mentioned grants and that's got to be hard, yeah, so, right? So we have yeah. a couple grants. Like we just finished uh, a project uh, called Stigma is Curable that we did last year that was a um, open forum conversation once a month about different stigmas for health or mental health or wellness. And we got a grant actually from uh, the Belchon Cultural Council and Massachusetts Cultural Council to run some of that stuff. And we've been reaching out to other organizations right now because we don't have a physical space. It's actually been pretty great because we can reach a ton of different communities with these programs that we've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've done the teacher work that we're working on was in Springfield. We did a summer program on uh, a mental health curriculum and self-care curriculum with an East Hampton school that we got funded through a grant that they had, which was great. Um, you know, we've even reached out into to Boston and Worcester and um, Fall River areas just to work with individual clients on, on different things. So it's been kind of cool to reach out to these different pockets because of uh, the pandemic. And I think moving forward, we'd keep that obviously, but then try to focus more on getting a brick and mortar store like you you were talking about mm-hmm. a, a placement in in some of these healthcare deserts or places that are, are access, closely accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's amazing too you're finding ways to bring, you know, some of the elements of what you want to do to people still like you know like you're saying through um like through the virtual uh, the virtual programming. Thank you Stomping Jen. Mm-hmm. Um and like it kills me that um, passionate people, um, like you, Stephen, like have to step into this void that the health air healthcare industry is leaving. Like, like why the hell aren't healthcare um, companies doing you know these types of programming for people like on right. on stigmas? You know, like why aren't we getting that from them? You're asking me. I yeah, don't know. you're looking over at me. I just, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm asking anyone who knows the answer to this. Like, why is it we have? Why is it we have to step in and and do this work? And and these healthcare companies aren't doing this kind of stuff. I'm hung up on this. I don't know. I mean, I can give you an answer that I've played around with, and I think it's mainly because. You know, our healthcare industry is is a business, right? And so there it looks good to do stigma stuff or it looks good to have these open forums, but it's not necessarily generating them a ton of money. And I'm not trying to shit all over the healthcare industry, but maybe just a little bit. Yeah. And you know, like I there I I have worked for insurance companies doing case management before, and it is something that's really hard because they talk a lot about doing these community be community based things and they they do some but it's hard to really push them a little bit further even when i was working there i tried to you know work within like community clinics and you know go out and be seen a little bit more for case management and talk about this because a lot of people didn't know that even existed with the health healthcare companies and it's like a up here uphill battle, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so, I mean, the, there are those programs, like I said, the CBHI initiative, which is fantastic, uh, really helpful for people. But, you know, I think I would hope that it shifts, but, you know, in the meantime, we don't also want to just wait around for it. And I think community is the way to go with a lot of this and reach out and make those connections. So Yeah. Well, each community knows what they need too. Better than, you know, the big corporations sitting somewhere, not in the community. Unless they have people on the ground. Yeah. I don't know. And that's what I like um, about what Stephen was saying is, you know, potentially getting community members involved on a board board of something like the uh, Promethean Mm -hmm. Project. Yeah. You know, because you can get that input from the community. Yeah. Um, Now... I imagine I want to dig a little into the, uh, some of the stuff you're doing around stigma because I wanted to ask okay. you about that program um, you're yeah. doing. Stigma is curable. Is it still ongoing? Uh, we put it on hold for for now. 
Um, but I am open to continuing it. I yeah. think it would really, um, it would have, to, we'd have to streamline it a little bit more and get more grants to do it. But we've toyed around with, um, we made it a, so it was live on Facebook each time and we shared it with, with people and made a group around it. We also did like a uh, mini series on our yeah. podcast of just the 12 episodes, uh, which was great. I think moving forward, uh, my hope would be it to be much more interactive in the future. Um, so I think there's room for it to continue. I think I would really just like to do actual community events to to broaden it and take it to that next level because yeah. it's great to have people on the screen. And I think we would do a hybrid model probably in the future mm-hmm. of that so that people don't necessarily have to come out. Um, but for it right now, it's it's kind of on pause just so we can focus on some of the other programs we're doing. But yeah. it still exists. It's still out there. And I think we might do one every so often on different topics so that it can kind of be still out there and still vocal about it. Mm-hmm. What are some of the big um, stigmas that you're you're focused on as a mental health mm. professional and then um, that you think are maybe particularly... Uh, responsive to like an integrative um, approach? Uh, So some of the ones we did were on, we did in November, we did a men's mental health um, presentation. Our December one was on boundaries, um, just like what healthy boundaries look like and how to challenge um, unhealthy boundaries and how how to establish these connections. We've done uh, racial trauma, uh, addiction, trans and non-binary mental health. We've had a speaker come talk on that. We've talked about sexism as in, uh, and then we got into anxiety or specific mental health um, concerns related to like ADHD was the very first one we did last January, um, which kind of kicked it off because I felt like I was running in with clients running into a lot of miseducation with, um, different providers or school systems or teachers. And we really wanted to just have a forum to keep it open like that. Um, I think moving forward, I would like to probably focus um, on ableism. I think that would be a really Mm. good conversation to have. Um, LGBTQIA rights and and mental health and um, community supports and I mean, there's just so much right. you could talk yeah. about. You could get very individualized and talk about different mental health concerns like psychosis or OCD or bipolar disorder. Um, so we're never going to run out of things to talk about, I think, when we talk about stigma specifically. Um, but those are some of the things we talked about. And I'm really interested in exploring it more, whether it's in these individual situations or if it if it's more of a ongoing conversation with groups and making groups on it mm-hmm. yeah I, I i'm really interested in this idea of men's mental health because i think men, I, i'm a man, a man i am a man stopping John, is that case, what you're interested in, in case in? you weren't sure <laughs> well no i mean as um and steven i've talked about this endlessly on the podcast like i've struggled with anxiety over the years and um you know um I feel like there, I feel like for men in particular, and maybe it's changing a bit, but, um, you know, there's a resistance to talking about mental health issues for men and, and, and then addressing them, right? Like, I I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you run into this as a therapist. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, one of my first cases I ever had out of grad school we were working, he, I think he was probably like 22 and I was probably like 27 at the time. And we were working in tandem and just really doing some good work. And at one point he, he said to me, you know, he's like, oh, if I knew this is what therapy was like, I would have started when I was 13, when I really needed to talk, start talking mm-hmm. to people about some of this stuff. And it just blew my mind. I remember that in my head, every time I go into a session, it's just like, just breaking down the stigma of, of just mental health in general or therapy in general, I think it opens up a lot of freedom for people. And I think you're right. The concept of being male, whether you're born male or whether, you know, transition to male, yeah. um, it, 
it carries some heavy weight about not being open or not being able to process or keep a stiff up, upper lip. And I read some, you know, I do Movember every year. I don't know if you guys know what that is. Yeah. I've been doing uh, it for, I've been doing it for uh, years, although I never, I never yeah. actually shave. <laughs> yeah. Well, so like just yeah. rocking a mustache in November to raise money for yeah. men's health and mental health. So originally it was uh, cancer, men's cancer, because there is that stigma of men going to a doctor and kind of exploring health and wellness, like we, like you touched upon earlier. And then it kind of branched out into suicide awareness and mental health for men too over the years, because there's some staggering, you know, percentages out there on just how many uh, male suicides there are daily, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. then just how many men suffer with depression or anxiety, and and actually connection is a big thing too. I, I can't remember the exact figures, but in the presentation, I shared there was like something like 24% of men said that they had really close friends. And then like something like 45% that they felt like they, they could be open to those friends. So it's like, it, it's astro, astro, I can't speak today. You're you know, doing astronomical. You're, you're doing great. You yeah. <laughs> um, just how staggering these things are because it's just not being talked about. Yeah. And actually you get picked on if you, if you are sensitive or if you are open to this. And so, um, was a, that was a really good presentation. My my buddy Rolando and I talked about it and he has a history of, you know, he's studied Jeet Kune Do. So he's a Jeet Kune Do Sifu, which is Bruce Lee's martial arts. Okay. Um, just like this really intense guy who who's very capable, but also in the middle of us talking, he just recited poetry that he, his dad wrote or that he wrote and really connected to. And so um, that was a fun one to do to really play around with that concept of what being a man looks like, right? Mm. Like what masculinity is what you make it, right? Yeah. And so that that was kind of the title of of that presentation. Yeah, and it's crazy because you know it does have imp- um, these ideas about what being a man is, and ideas around masculinity can impact your health. Like, I have a friend. My like you have a friend forty. Well, like Stephen was saying. <laughs> You know, I I do have a few close friends, uh-huh. couple, small number. I know. One of them was um, telling us he was going to get a colonoscopy, and um, but it was presented in such a way that he seemed uncomfortable with it because someone's going to be sticking a tube up his butt, right? And that was I an unmanned. Everybody feels uncomfortable. But that it, but <laughs> colonoscopy. I, I'm being kind to my friend. Yes. And and saying it was. It was framed and wrapped in some ideas that that's somehow not something a man should do, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was absolutely ridiculous. So I immediately chimed in and was like, oh, I, you know, I got my colonoscopy a couple of years ago. It was great. It was fun. You know? It, fun you know. times at the... But my, my point but my point is how many men forego a colonoscopy because they have yeah. these ideas, right. right? And they are embarrassed or ashamed or think that there's something wrong with getting a tube stuck up your butt. There's nothing wrong with it. Like it could save your life. And and I like and I think um you know, I, I just was it was so frustrating to read that. That I'm was all sorry. Even even yeah. though I'm not a man, I don't want to get a colonoscopy. Either. <laughs> yeah. Again. Sorry. I, that's where my mind was going. But I know the procedures uncom. I know the there. I know the procedures. I get what in, you're saying. I understand what you're yeah. saying. I'm just yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm also like I don't know what struck me when you were talking about this, Steve. But it was like we've been watching Cobra Kai. <laughs> Oh, I I just finished the new season. <laughs> and like like I just like every episode we're just like, oh my god, it's so ridiculous. But like, you know, just like yeah. they're sort of tackling some of this stuff in like a very non-obvious way, I feel like, the way that they yeah. have um positioned the, you know, the machismo between the rivalry between the characters and some of the stuff that happens, I don't know. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong about that, but no, you're right. I mean, I think when you look at Johnny Lawrence, right, he's an alpha alpha male, right? yeah. And yeah. and just the fact that Cobra Kai exists, it's telling this other story of like his journey, mm-hmm. why he's an alpha male, and then as the seasons go on, obviously not spoiling anything, you see him start shifting. And then I think my favorite thing about it is like you see him start shifting, and then you see 
you know, you know, Danny, who's like the good person, he, right. you see some of the anger in him come out and some yeah. of that toxicity in him come out too. Yeah. And so I think I was just telling a, a buddy the other day who I actually drove to a, to a colonoscopy at one, <laughs> at one point. So breaking down the stigma on that, I was just telling him the other day that, you know, they do a really good job of keeping the eighties kind of charm and story writing yeah. and then also calling it out on what was absolutely ludicrous yeah. and you know, sure. all this toxicity that existed. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the fact that none of those kids have been really arrested. Yeah. It's like <laughs> you're straight up having a brawl and in, in like <laughs> a little kid's birthday party. What, what is happening in this world? Oh God. Love yeah. that show so much. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, and I think you're right. I think they are in a in their own kind of way looking yeah. at looking at some of these issues. Um yeah. yeah, and that's you know, um so that's the importance of these you know, programs like um like Stephen was doing, um like stigma is curable, right? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. education. It's like awareness, help. like everything else, right? Like yeah. you know, the first step in any breaking down any stigma is acknowledging that it exists and then talking about it yeah and finding creative ways to to do it and all that kind of stuff um and and steven you're also thinking about and i know you're offering um programming for um youth and families you can you Mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about I, i am interested in hearing a little bit more about um family-centered and like youth-centered programming and how you see that how you see that um now and how maybe you see that as part of what you want to do with um uh, the promethean uh, project yeah um do you mind if i just touch base on something that jen said real quick i think absolutely um, yeah I, that concept of like really that awareness and being honest and where you're at and where you have to go, I think is really important. And with the stigma is curable events. It's one of the reasons too, is that like, you know, we're all on our own journey of, of awareness. Right. And so like even a misstep in, you know, this conditioned sexist response I have of like, Oh, Prometheus gave men fire. And then it was like, well, no, not just men. Like that's a journey that like rewiring, through the cultural mind is like really important. And so when we did the stigmas curable, I was very aware that people don't want to hear me talk because they're sick of me talking or they're in session or on the podcast or anything. And so each event, we just had people who specialize in, in that topic come in and kind of use their voice to connect to other people through these avenues. And I felt like that was really magical for me to witness, um, because I learned so much from that process too. And I, I called myself out on some of, some of that lack of awareness and really pushed myself to do better, even though I was emceeing these events, you know? And I think that's the beauty of having someone speak to community. Um, I remember there's one specific presentation where um, someone asked a question and she felt really embarrassed about asking the question about because it sounded really bad. And uh, my friend Khadija, who was presenting on racial trauma, was like, no, no, no. Bring awareness to that. This is why we're having this conversation. Let's talk about this. Why did you think this? Why did it come out that way? Don't don't get mad at yourself, but bring awareness and, and try to incorporate that. So I just wanted to touch on that because I, I think that's super important. So mm. thank you for saying that, Jen. I appreciate that. Mm. Good job, Stumpy. Oh, look, I did something. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Awareness. But but to talk about your question, um, so some of the stuff we're working on right right now has been really youth-focused because, you know, it's easier to get them involved in telehealth or these Zoom meetings, and you can do a lot with that, and I really enjoyed that. But um, some of the family stuff we're working on is – you know, we want to strengthen healthy families because so much of health is passed down through modeling. And so one of the big things we want to get going when once we get a center is this strengthening healthy families program, which I kind of took from this this program I used to run at an internship called Strengthening Families, which is a very specific program. I I and I put healthy in there so I didn't get sued by them <laughs> once we started, started doing it. Um, but the concept is, of that program was meeting um, for a three hour meeting with families. And 
the first half hour was having dinner together and then the parents went to an educational system and then the adolescents went to an educational system and then they came back together to work together as a family, which I felt was really strong and to witness this was really amazing. Um, and, you know, like because it was grant funded, we'd get pizza or tacos or something really easy for dinner so that people could have it. Yeah. And so yeah. playing around with that idea is, oh, if we were doing that for emotions and family dynamics, which is really awesome, we can start entering healthy aspects into it, too, and maybe have nights where if we have a, a almost like a test kitchen, we can teach them how to cook different meals together and, mm. and participate in that and really model some of these uh, healthy aspects that we're talking about, like meditation or, you know, self-care or nutrition, you know, or exercise and work together. And so that's a big one that we're really trying to streamline and get up and running as soon as we can once, uh, you know, um, we're able to meet in bigger groups again and, and do that work. And I'm, I'm really excited about that because I do think um, my siblings and I are open about our own past with me specifically with eating disorders and just how much lack of education I had as it on it as a kid and how I really just didn't know. And it it wasn't my parents' fault. They, they often joke, I throw them under the table, but it wasn't their fault. It was just like, I didn't know anything. And I had this internalized kind of shame that would cause me to have three slices of Apollo pizza. And then when people went to watch TV, I'd take like five into the basement and just eat it. Yeah, You know, and so if I can work with, you know, our team and other families to kind of model different healthy lifestyles, I, it's really why we're doing this stuff. So I'm really excited about hopefully getting that going soon. Is that one of the things that um, drove you into a career in mental health and now integrative health and wanting mm. to help others? like was your, your own struggles and like, how long, how long did it take you before you got help with and started um, to deal with your own issues? Right. Um, well, so I would, I would say, yes, like looking back at it now, it's definitely why I got into this field. But if you had asked me in college, why I was in this field, it'd be like, Oh, I took an aptitude test at high school and they said I should be a counselor. So I just yeah. went with that, which is essentially you know, I also joke around that, you know, I used to watch Growing Pains all the time and Alan <laughs> Thicke had his own private practice in his house. I was like, oh, that'd be cool. They have a nice house. I can make <laughs> money. That's a lie. You don't make a ton of money doing this. So, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's more of a passion. And so as I went through it, I struggled with some depression in college because of, you know, studying this it brought out some trauma and this stuff I had pushed deep down. And then it, you know, working with people um, at the counseling centers at UMass. And then luckily my brother and my siblings are really supportive and I can kind of talk to them. Yeah. I, I joke around that my brother's like my sage on dial <laughs> that like when I'm struggling, I can go to him. He's seven years older than me. And he, he got me really into like Buddhist and Taoism and uh, really exploring beyond just like what I was growing up with. Yeah. And I think um, I was, and your your brother and sister, they're part of the Promethean project. Yep. What is that? Uh, co-founders. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean to you to have family in this journey with you? Uh, we'll, well, we'll see once we get an actual place. <laughs> yeah. working together every day. But so far, it's been pretty amazing um, yeah. because we can we're all very like-minded and we may struggle on like the naming of things. Um, uh, Some of us might like one statement others might like other statements, but we're able to kind of work it out, like naming the programs and things of that nature. But I think our uh, own personal like strengths help solidify the passion that we're doing. Um, We're very fortunate that my sister is going to get her master's in nonprofit um, Management. management. So that's going to be awesome. Uh, yeah. When she graduates there, I, we'll actually know what we're doing <laughs> a lot better. Uh, my brother is just very creative. And, you know, the publishing program we're working on is called Ampersand. And very intentionally because it, it I want it, we wanted it to be more inclusive in the sense of like this concept of and. So everyone's voice is like, and this voice, and this voice, and this voice. Um 
and he used to do graffiti art. So he designed our logo for the ampersand, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, and then he's just, he thinks outside the box a little bit differently because he lived in Taiwan for years studying martial arts. So mm-hmm. it's really cool to all kind of come together and bounce ideas off each other. And, um, we're all terrible with money. So we have to figure out how to fix that. <laughs> you know, We'll get there. Yeah. I mean, money is another one of those things. Nobody teaches you how to deal with it. That's like true. mental yeah. health. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, for sure. It's talk also about no, a stigma. Well, it's also no secret on, on, on this podcast. I talk about how, you know, stomping Jen is manages all of our money. Like, cause I, it gives me anxiety even to think yeah. about it or look at it or I see a spreadsheet. I head for the Hills. I I'm, love spreadsheets. <laughs> seriously. I mean, there's something soothing about spreadsheets. <clears throat> like once you understand them, they're oh, like yeah. really, yeah. I feel like you can, I can geek out on them now, but no, I agree with you. My credit score was terrible until I started dating my wife. <laughs> she just <laughs> was like, no, this is not how we do things. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. now, you know, like, we're good. Um, but you're right. It, it, you know, no, like my parents never really had a credit card. They had one, they hardly ever used it. So when I graduated my undergraduate from UMass, I was like, oh, I'll get a credit card and get like an iPod <laughs> and a yeah. MacBook. Like I need those things. Okay. And then yeah, just never, like even at 22, I just never understood the concept of it because I always looked at it as scary and I didn't educate myself on it. And so I think like you're, you're saying, it's just like anything else. It's like bringing awareness to it and turning towards it instead of yeah. away from it. It's, is really a good way to do anything. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you, um, we talked a little bit about it, your companion podcast, um, yeah. which is called break the chains, find your flame. How'd you get yes. that? How'd you, how'd you get that going? Um, I was bored. I wasn't doing anything creatively. And my mom asked me what I wanted for my birthday <laughs> one year. And I was like, Hey, buy me this uh, microphone. It comes with an editing system. It's on sale. I'll play around with it. And then, um, my daughter and I played around with like settings on it. And then our first two interviews, number one is my sister. Number two was my brother started off really simple and, you know, I'm pretty open about my journey and I just thought it'd be really cool to talk to people about their journey through trials and tribulations. And so, um, tomorrow our 62nd episode is being, uh, launched. And so, um, it's just been fun. It really is just been, I think more than anything, it's just a creative endeavor that I, I was missing at the time. And I felt really connected to doing something fun like that. Yeah. That's awesome. I have to give you one of these. <laughs> <laughs> 60, 62 episodes that's mm-hmm. impressive mm-hmm. yeah what microphone what microphone did you get i must know uh, still the same one as a blue yeti uh nothing too too fancy i that's a classic I think i'll explore more when i have more time but yeah. you know it yep. works i think that um per capita that's probably the most common uh right. podcasting yeah. microphone right uh, you're asking me <laughs> i'm just asking the universe uh-huh, that's all uh-huh. I know the answer, which is yes. That's a good mic. Yeah. <laughs> cool. What has, um, yeah. What, um, has anything surprised you about doing podcasting and talking to all of these people? Um, I think, well, there's been a lot, right? Like just playing around with different ways to do it and levels on the microphone. Uh, if you listen to Caitlin and Marcus's, um, the first two episodes, it's, it was a lot of trial by error. There's a lot of like, hitting of the table that the microphone was on. Oh yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of weird noises that kind of, that I couldn't edit out, but I, I, I just felt how, what really amazed me was just how quickly I got engaged in the conversation with people. And it's, it shouldn't have been that amazing to me because it, I do it for a living. I, t- I talk to people all the time, but, um, it was really nice not to kind of take my therapist brain and put it aside and just be in the moment with someone hearing their story and hearing their passions and connecting to that. And that's always, you know, I always get some trepidation before like, Oh, am I going to mess up? What if I don't have any questions? Like what if it doesn't go smoothly? And then each time at the end, I'm like, 
wow, this was amazing. Like, I really <laughs> loved yeah. this. It doesn't sound um, like anybody. Yeah, that's literally every podcast episode I record, Stephen, <laughs> is is a, a few minutes of fraud anxiety, and then afterwards, that, that feeling. Like, it's an adrenaline rush for me. Like, yeah. afterwards, being like, wow, that was such an incredible episode. Right, Stomping Jen? That's right. That happens every episode. Every um, episode. Yeah. Um, oh, and also, I say... <laughs> I really got have gotten better at ums and likes because going back and editing my conversations with people really made me hyper aware of, <laughs> of yeah. That. And drinking water in front of a microphone it just drives me nuts when I have to edit out like a gulp that happens because yeah. Oh, oh, there you go. We just leave them in. Ready? <laughs> I've got. I think I've gotten there as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I gave you a ah too. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ridiculous. Um, let's see. Uh, so you also, um, you talked a little bit about this at the beginning. You also offer um, mental health um, counseling as a mm-hmm. as a therapist. Um, yeah. How can people? Um, how can people? I don't know if you're taking new clients. Um, if if people are interested, like how do they? How do they connect with you? Um, how do they? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so eventually it will merge into the Promethean project too, and I'll be doing it there, but right now it's just my own private practice. Um, I am taking limited clients and usually just daytime hours because I have to fill certain slots, but uh, they can find me. If you go to a website called psychology today, there's a little section where it says find a therapist and um, you could just enter my name or just look at therapists in the Amherst area Mm-hmm. And I'll I'll probably pop up there. Okay. Is your office in Amherst or? My office right now is in Amherst. It's on um, Research Drive, which is right mm-hmm. next to Atkinson yep. Family Practice. Thanks. In Amherst. Okay. Cool. Um, let's see. Da, da, da. I wanted to. I'm just looking at the clock. Um, and I want to make sure we get you out of here on time. Um, so how can people help you um, with this Promethean project? What if somebody's listening to this and is like they want to engage, feels really moved to to help out in some way? What can they do? Uh, so we're always looking for different like fundraising ventures or opportunities. Um, you know, we participate in the Giving Tuesday uh, situation that that always happens uh, in November. I recently ran a self-imposed half marathon to raise some money for um, the specifically the ampersand publishing program we're doing. But so we're always looking for people who can help with that, whether it's uh, donations for raffles or if they know venue places um, that would be helpful or they could donate time as volunteers. I think also so much of what we've done so far has just been networking, just out of the blue networking, random conversations that have kind of built into bigger things for us. And so if you're interested in any of this, feel free to contact us. Let's have a conversation. And if we can't do anything now, let's kind of put that in the mind Rolodex a little bit and have more conversations as, as things come up, because that's really been something surprising for me through all of this. It's just how simple it is to open yeah, I want to do this and have conversations and, and just what comes from it. Yeah. It's yeah. just been really awesome. Yep. And I'll say it because I, I have the sense that you're too nice and too humble to do it. Um, your website has a donate function yeah. on it. So all of you scoundrels who are listening to this, open up your wallets and throw some money <laughs> into that into that donate button. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you can do that too. Um, if you just want to uh, throw some money. Um, and it's a nonprofit. So um it's going to go to help this help this mission out. Um, anything else, uh, Stephen? You want to tell us as we as we're beginning to move towards wrapping up about the Promethean project, where it's going, what's next? Anything? Yeah, anything I we mean, missed? Yeah. No, I think we. You know, both of you have been super insightful on your questions, and thank you for asking them because it's it's always awkward to come and talk to people and they're like, "Tell us what you do," and you're like, oh, "There's so much. How do I do it?" And I think. <laughs> You both have asked really great questions to help me externalize what we do. Um, I was, I would just say, you know, 
we often think there have to be these like grand gestures to to kind of combat stigma or these huge things that you have to do to make a difference and it's not like that i've seen so much change just from small interactions with people or a kind word or helping someone with a door or you know these things that we can do micro things that we can do every day to kind of make a difference and connect with people and you never know how things are going to make a difference every once in a while i'm really lucky to get a random message from someone i went to high school with or someone i've known in the past who I'm completely unaware if they still remember me and they'll send me a message like, Hey, I really, you know, I heard what you're doing keep doing it. Or I listened to this podcast. That was great. Or I watched the stigma event. Thank you. Like my son needed that. And that, you know, like you're saying, donate, if you have the money that helps us a lot too, but, but that positive reaction, that generative reaction to what we're doing and what others do kind of keeps this cycle and this passion going for everyone. And so you know, there's a lot of intricacies on what you can do to challenge stigmas, to be compassionate to yourself, compassionate to other people, connect with other people. But you don't have to do these grand gestures like these this daily kind of um, consistency, let's say consistency. And this is really what makes change, not these grand gestures once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I tell people with meditation, too. I'd rather have you meditate five minutes every day than once a month, do an hour meditation. I love that. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, last two questions, and we'll try to make these super quick. Um, what do you like to do uh, for yourself when you're not working on the Promethean project? You're not working with clients. How do you how do you get back to Stephen? What do you do? <laughs> well, I, I mentioned my daughter earlier, so she's really grounding because she's really getting into all this geeky stuff for me and yeah. it's not her job to, but just sword fighting with her, <laughs> you know, like that's pretty amazing to come home <laughs> yeah. from a long day of counseling. It's just like being attacked with the sword. I'm like, all right, it's on, let's go. Um, but in terms of self-care, there are three main things. I think three, maybe more. Um, I love to read. Um, I was telling Jen, usually I'm in my office when I do podcast stuff, but I'm at home now and yeah, I'm using an iPad and I'm stacked on like eight fantasy books just to get the hype. <laughs> I mean, I got uh, Brandon Sanderson. I got Dune over here. Nice. I have uh, Wheel of Time. I have this uh, Age of Madness trilogy by Joe Abercrombie. If anyone likes reading fantasy, these are all fantastic reads. Um, there's also like a hundred hardcover books that are just on the other side <laughs> of this iPad. Nice. So my wife and I are super super into reading and fantasy. Um, I love exercising. I'm a calisthenics guy. You, you can nice. see on the website, some of the pictures of, of, you know, my brother does martial arts, my sister does yoga. I'm, I'm that guy who tries to hang sideways off a pole. Jumping um, Jack, jumping jacks and chin-ups. <laughs> jumping, <laughs> jumping Jack and chin-ups. Um, I get tagged in push-up challenges all the time. And I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's make them creative. Let's see what we can do. So exercise is a big thing for me just to kind of release any pent up frustrations or things I might have. I have kettlebells in my office. So in between clients, I'll do some kettlebell work just to kind of release whatever counter transference and transference happens. Um, And then I like to write. I actually finished my first kid's book. Oh, awesome. Um, I'm just waiting on it. (laughs) Thank you. I'm waiting on it for to be illustrated, but it's um, a mindfulness book using superheroes to teach different mindfulness. Oh, cool! Okay, yeah. oh, that's awesome. Look forward to that. We'll have to have you back called, on uh, when you when you launch yeah, that. Yeah, I'd love to share it. It's, it's going to be called yeah. "So You Want to Be a Superhero: A Mindfulness Book for Kids and Some Adults." It's the well, first that's awesome. Time. I love that. Cool. Very cool. Awesome. Uh, last question, and this might come. You know, some people are surprised by this question. I, I view it as punishment for not listening to my podcast, because <laughs> everyone who listens to this will know it. This question is coming, right? Stomping, oh, Jen. Yes. Okay. All right, Steve. All right, here we go. Um, what have you experienced that you cannot explain, or you have a hard time explaining? Mm, that's a good one. Um, there's been a lot. Uh, I tend to problem solve in my sleep. Oh. Um, so. I have this weird thing 
that happens a lot. I, I dream, I'm a very lucid dreamer. Um, and so I remember my dreams a lot and they're very intricate. I remember a dream I had when I was younger that I was on a floating houseboat being chased by Jaws and then it turned into a Winnebago and then Jaws was on a bicycle chasing me. <laughs> so obviously that's not too much problem solving because, well, I guess if it ever happens, I'll be prepared. Um, <laughs> but so I remember solving math problems in my sleep, um, like really spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to solve a problem. Couldn't get it, go to sleep equations in my brain i wake up and i try it out and it's the solution um and wow. like just random stuff like i i don't drink alcohol anymore because i had a dream about my nephew and he just kept saying this term vasa which is a, a buddhist tradition of um not having any toxins for three months mm -hmm. yeah. and it was right in that timeline of when i had the dream um so i was like oh let me do this and now it's like in July, it'll be three years of no wow. alcohol, just based on that dream. So that's awesome. Um, thanks. Yeah. So I have like this weird calling to mind things to happen in dreams. And sometimes if I'm worried, I'm like, well, I'll just dream about it and see what happens. Yeah. It doesn't always work, but sometimes it does. So awesome. I guess that would be something that I've experienced that it's hard to explain. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, really appreciate it. All right. We're going to get you out of here. I know you're on a deadline. Um, yeah, um, Steve um, Opalinik, um, yeah. working on the Promethean project. Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming on and talking to us. I thank, really enjoyed the conversation. Both. Yeah. Um, Could have gone another half hour with you and we'll have you back someday. I promise. Um, well, when the book comes out, yeah. I'll, I'll send you yep. a copy. You know? Yep, absolutely. Um, thank you for sharing um, everything you did. Thank you for all you're doing. Um, I really appreciate. Work. Yeah, I really appreciate this kind of work. You're doing great stuff. Um, thank you. Thank you, guys. Listeners, uh, you know what to do. Um, <laughs> all the things. Yeah, if you're stumbling across this and you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. Download our episodes. We like that. Uh, leave a review. Leave us a review. Engage with us on social media. You know Share where to find us. Share with a friend. That's the most important thing. That's how we grow. Sharing is caring. Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Yes. Not All, if right. All right, Stomping Jen. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to get Steven out of here, and you're right. just going off I'm, and ad-libbing, and it's a I whole thing. Um, so we're going to say, I'm trying to be minutes. uncharacteristically um, uh, moving things along here. Oh, you are? I'm the one who's usually, now okay. I'm doing it. Uh, listeners, listen. <laughs> Goodbye. We'll see you on the. Uh, we'll see you on a future episode. Thank we you. Love you. Yeah, we love you, uh, Stephen. You want to say goodbye? Bye, listeners. Thank you for your time. All right, everyone. Uh, bye now. Bye now. This world of ours, ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibility. That all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity. And that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth. And that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love. I shall never cease to do what little I can to help the world advance along that road.